What I'd like to start with this evening is to tell you guys about a realization that I had on Christmas Day 2010. We're fully into Christmas, so I thought this was an apt uh, story to, to bring up. So I'll take you all the way back to Christmas 2010, and this is a, um, it's a significant Christmas for me because it was the first Christmas that I spent with my future in-laws and now in-laws, so with my wife's family. And the realization that I had on Christmas Day 2010 is that my wife's family are very different to my family. Now, um, I felt that, I knew that already, you know, I spent time with them before, but it particularly hit me when it came to the time to open the Christmas presents. Now, uh, we basically started out uh, in a very similar way to my family. We started out by kind of divvying out all the presents into little individual piles. And in both families, this, this job falls to the youngest member of the family. So I was like, okay, I know, I know the rules, I know what's happening, I can play this game. However, when it came to actually opening the presents, I was in for a little bit of surprise. What you basically need to understand is that in my family, what follows after this bit is a very ordered, tightly monitored process. So we, we begin by counting who's, like, all the individual presents in each pile, so we have to know how many we start out with. And then we, we actually like, make sure that we open enough so that we've all got even number of presents. And then we can start the formal present opening process, where we go around and we take it in turns, youngest to oldest, to open a present at a time. Yeah, it's, very, it's a bit over the top, isn't it? We're basically really over-controlling when it comes to presents. And uh, it's a very sedate process, and it takes, as you can imagine, quite a long time. So you can imagine my horror as, uh, in this very first time in this uh, new family environment, basically someone said, go, and then that was it. It was like presents were being opened left, right, and center. There was present wrapper, uh, like labels and wrapping paper flying in every direction. It was, uh, I actually asked my father-in-law this week to like, check if it was okay. I was like, how would you sum up Christmas with you guys? And he was like, it's basically chaos. That's the word that he used. So, uh, so you can blame it on him rather than me. But uh, a really important thing that I need to stress at this point is that I have grown to love the method. And so I can now say with my hand on my heart that, I, that neither family's method is better. And it's really important to say that because my wife is, is sitting over there somewhere. So I just want to make sure. No, I, I do genuinely think that, um, that each one is better. Both methods have pros and cons. Ruth's families might be a bit more chaotic, but it is, it is an awful lot of fun, actually. And my, while my family's way is a bit more ordered and I'm probably more used to it, it does take an awfully long time. Although, as a little aside, um, it is going to take less time this year because I had a very painful, uh, pa very painful phone call from my mum this week. Um, my mum has basically decided that now that I'm 30, without any consultation, she's decided that that means I no longer qualify for a Christmas stocking. I know, yeah, the struggle is real, yeah. Anyway, so um, at, at the end of the present process, I was reassured to see that at this point, the methods come back together, and both families make a really important point of actually thanking the, the person that's given them the gift. So we go around and we say, thank you to you, thank you to that, to you. And uh, so I was reassured that even though we're very different, in lots of ways there are things in common. And, and actually, both families have a really important value uh, of of thanking people and showing gratitude. And I think gratitude is probably a fairly basic thing that I'd imagine most of us express probably most days. You know, you're writing an email and you say thank you, or someone says you a coffee and, and you say thank you. But I think quite a lot of the time, if we're not careful, it can be quite a formulaic thing and we're sort of doing it 
maybe without really thinking about it, maybe don't really mean it, but we say it anyway because that's the kind of thing that, you, that we do. And I wonder, if you stopped and thought about it, if you can think of the last time you really made an effort to show gratitude to someone. Someone does something special for you, or you really appreciated it in the moment, and, and you made the effort to kind of push past any awkwardness and any brushing off and, and actually make them aware of how much it meant to you. Because the thing that, that God has been challenging me on this term, and the thing that I'd love to talk about tonight, is, is how do we practice thankfulness? How do, I, how do I embrace that into my everyday life? And so the question that I'd love to ask us tonight is, how can we develop an attitude of gratitude? How can we develop an attitude of gratitude? I heard someone laugh slightly at the back of my slightly cheesy strap line, but it'll hopefully stick in your mind. So um, I think it's quite a helpful question to ask ourselves, especially as we go into the final stages of the Christmas season. It's the, it's the kind of end of the year. It can be a very, can be a very natural time to reflect and look back on, on the year so far and think about what we're thankful for. But at the same time, it's often a really, really busy season where... Uh, there's so much going on, and actually we may not have as much time to kind of stop and, and think as, as we hope. So with all that in mind, I wonder, as we approach Christmas, how are you, how are you feeling right now? Are you, are you feeling grateful? Have you felt thankful much recently? Are you feeling thankful for Christmas or, or excited about Christmas, or are you just looking forward to a bit of a break, assuming that you get a break? I know not, not everyone gets time off at Christmas, make it very important to say that. Well, my hope is that however you're feeling, however you answer those questions in your own mind, that there'll be something in what I have to say tonight that will be helpful for you. So at this point, I'd love to introduce the, um, the text from the Bible that I'm going to be speaking on. It's from um, the book of Luke, which is uh, one of the Gospels. And the Gospels, if you don't know what they are, they are the four books of the Bible that tell us about Jesus and his life on earth. So in Luke, we, we later on, we can read the Christmas story. And my hope is that most of us know the basic details of the Christmas story. But just in case you don't, we've got an angel that appears to Mary who um, is told that she will fall pregnant, even though she's a virgin, with Jesus. And Jesus is the son of God, man, uh, God made into man. And the story culminates in the birth of Jesus, God entering the world in a, in a filthy stable in the nowhere town of Bethlehem. Shepherds, kings, and donkeys feature, or a donkey at least. But the, the story doesn't start there. It actually doesn't even start with Mary. So uh, we're going to pick the story up in a moment, but um, first of all, I just need to go through what's happened sort of so far. So at the very beginning of Luke, Luke sort of introduces himself, and then we hear the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah. And Elizabeth is one of the key characters that I want to talk about tonight. Zechariah is a priest in Israel, and Elizabeth is his wife. And the story tells us that they are both very old, and they are without children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive. As the story continues, an angel appears and prophesies that Elizabeth will become pregnant even in her old age. And the short version of what happens next is that that comes true. And so um, as we start our story in a minute, Elizabeth is pregnant with this uh, prophesied child and then sometime after that another angel appears and he speaks to Elizabeth's cousin Mary and this is when Mary enters the story and he tells her that she will also fall pregnant with a boy who she is to call Jesus 
They predict that he will be the son of the Most High and they make various other pronouncements over him. And again, this comes true. And through the power of God, Mary becomes pregnant. So that's a real whistle-stop tour of what's happened as we pick up the story in uh, the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 39. Let's go over the screen, I think. Yeah. At this time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she, en- where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And, uh, and the song goes on. Uh, so the, yeah, so that's, that I was going to say there, actually. The, the thinking is that Mary sang that that thing and so that's a song of praise and there's more to it but for the sake of tonight we're going to focus in on this bit Um, and that song is known as a sort of term for it which is called the Magnificat so if I use that that expression I'm talking about Mary's song there basically if I forget that's that's what I'm talking about so there's an awful lot going on here and uh, we could spend hours looking at uh, just just that uh, that song actually but you'll be pleased to know that I'm I'm not going to do that what I'm going to do is uh, spend the rest of the time that we have pulling out some key points from that text and thinking about how can we apply that to our lives today, especially in light of this question about developing an attitude of gratitude. And so my first point that I'd like to make is that to embrace thankfulness, I believe that we need to look beyond ourselves. Because the first thing that jumped out at me when I, read this, when I read this story is the way Elizabeth reacts here. So if you think about it, basically what's just happened is Elizabeth has had an incredible miracle happen to her. She, she's, God has provided her with a child miraculously in her old age when she'd long given up on, the, on that hope of that. And I think what we can miss with our modern ears is some of the, the context of that. It's the shame that it would have meant for Elizabeth to have been without a child uh, in, in the culture of the day, being unable to bear children would have been a mark of, of shame and actually a sign of God's displeasure. That's how people would have viewed it. Elizabeth would have grown up being, being told that her kind of primary duty was to bear children for her husband. And so when she realized that she was unable to do that, that would have, that would have meant an incredible amount of shame uh, amongst the community that she lived in. And she actually uh, refers to it earlier on in Luke, in, uh, in chapter 25, sorry, verse 25, she says this, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown me his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. That's how much it meant to her. God has done a, a miraculous thing and it's probably the most important thing that's ever happened to Elizabeth. That's probably fair to say. And yet... When she meets her cousin Mary, what does she want to talk about? 
Does she want to talk about this incredible miracle and this thing that God has done for her? No, she doesn't want to talk about that. She wants to talk about Mary and the amazing blessing and promise that God has given to Mary, the wonderful promise that is Jesus. I don't know if you can imagine that happening to you. So, so imagine you had some incredible news. Say uh, you've got that dream job that you'd always wanted, or you um, got promoted, or, or you got engaged. And so you want to tell everyone, you want to run around, this is, this is great news. And the next time you see your cousin, they've basically one-upped you. So they've got like, maybe they've got promoted and they've got engaged in the same day. Um, so they've kind of just like, yeah, taken the wind out of your sails a little bit. And I think, to be honest, if that was me, I'd probably be tempted to be a little bit, you know, put out. I think I'd probably be like, oh, I guess we're talking about Elizabeth today. It's not really, it's not really Mary Day. Um, but, but there's none of that from what we hear here. There's, there's not even a hint of resentment from Elizabeth. It's not even a whiff of the idea that maybe, just maybe, Mary has stolen her thunder a little bit. Instead, she is, she is full with genuine joy and delight for Mary and the promise that God has given her. Elizabeth sees beyond herself. You know, if we, um, if we are solely focused on ourselves, on our own triumphs and trials, we can lose perspective. We can begin to believe that we're the only people in the world who are suffering, or the only people in the world who are celebrating. But stopping and looking beyond ourselves helps us to see things in context. Now, I should say here that um, there's nothing wrong with wanting to celebrate. You know, Elizabeth would have been perfectly justified in wanting to shout this amazing news from the rooftops, you know, the incredible thing that God has done for her. But I love the fact that she's able to look beyond the favor that God has bestowed on her and celebrate what he's doing for someone else as well. This doesn't, this doesn't diminish her situation. She's not saying, oh, you know, uh, my news isn't important anymore, but she's actually celebrating both. And, and I wonder how easy we would find that, find to do yourself if we had incredible news that we couldn't wait to share and yet someone else had something even better. How would we react in that moment because it's really easy to, to just look at ourselves isn't it and just focus on ourselves Sue's um, mentioned uh, in the introduction that uh, me and Ruth my wife Ruth have been called to go and join the new church plant in, in Derby following Tom and Helen as they plant Derwent Valley Vineyard whoop, whoop. no booze this time yes good strong whoops um, and so, uh, so we've been looking to uh, kind of move and, and uh, uproot our family, move to Derby, and I've been looking for a new job this term. And it's fair to say that finding a new house in Derby hasn't happened as fast as we'd hoped. So, uh, you know, I think we've, I've lost count of the number of houses that we've looked at over the past few months. And basically, about, probably about a month ago, or three weeks ago, we were feeling a little bit fed up, I think it's fair to say. We, we looked at maybe three houses that week, and none of them were right. Uh, nothing was happening with my job, and uh, we were just feeling a bit stuck, basically. I think we've, I'm sure we've all had a week like that. And, uh, and Ruth, my wife, was, was chatting to someone that I work with here, and they asked her how, how we were doing. And, and Ruth was very good, she didn't moan, but she, she was like, oh, well, actually, it has been a fairly tough week, we're feeling a bit, bit fed up. And my colleague, very innocently and well-meaningly, was like, oh, yeah, that must be, must be really hard. I, know, I totally know how you feel. You know, when we moved to Nottingham, 
we basically had six weeks where we were homeless. And while our house was getting ready and we had to sleep on all of our friends' sofas with our young family, and then we had to live in a caravan for a couple of weeks in the middle of winter while our, while our kids started school. So, so I know how you feel. And uh, Ruth was like, I'm not sure I know how you feel, to be honest. I think, I think you've got it a bit worse than us, actually, I think. Um, and my colleague, as I say, was genuinely doing that in, in the nicest of ways. But it was a bit of a reality check for us, actually. It was a bit of a, oh, okay, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, maybe, just maybe, what we're facing isn't the worst thing that there is. There's always someone worse off, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. You know, next week on, um, on Christmas Eve, I have the privilege of being part of a team that will serve Christmas dinner at the Arches. The Arches, if you don't know, is uh, our kind of main social outreach charity as a church. It's the big building next door, next to the youth centre, and we, we serve thousands of people throughout the year in, in a variety of ways. And at Christmas, we, we put this dinner on, and we invite people that have nowhere to go on, on Christmas Day. Not everyone, but the majority of the people that, that we're inviting next, next week um, will have nowhere to go on, on Christmas Day. And it is, it's one of the highlights of, of my year, of my Christmas, particularly because I, I, I love uh, celebrating Christmas with, with people from all walks of life coming together as family. But it's also a, a, um, a real reminder to be grateful for my earthly family because a lot of the people in the room won't, won't get to have the Christmas that I will. They won't, they won't get to have the chaos of presence with Ruth's family or the order of presence with my family. They, they will be on their own. And so um, I, I believe that the, the story of Elizabeth here is really illustrating a reminder for us to look beyond ourselves. And I'd love us to consider what, what might it look like for you to look beyond yourself this Christmas? You know, who around you needs a shoulder to cry on? Or someone, a fan cheering them on, celebrating what's happening with them? Okay, so um, I'm going to go back to the, the text and move on to my next point. The other thing that, that really jumped out to me about this is uh, the response of, of both Mary and Elizabeth, actually, is that they prioritize time to stop and celebrate what God has done and reflect actually on what he's done. Mary says in, in verses 47 to 48, my spirit rejoices in God my saviour for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. God has done a wonderful thing for Mary, an awesome thing in, in the true meaning of that word and her right response is to stop and make time to praise him and to recognize what he's done and to thank him. Mary and Elizabeth were, were both pregnant. You know, I'm sure they had no end of things to do and think about. The first century equivalent of buying a cot and painting the room the right color. I don't know what you do in that culture, but I'm sure they had a lot to do. But they, but they prioritize taking the time to stop and to thank God. And I think this is a really important for us to hear in our, in our culture which can be 24-7, it can be so full, you know, with social media and emails on our phones. It can be, it can be non-stop, and especially at Christmas. Um, it's really easy for that busyness to just take over and for us to have no time to really stop and appreciate the amazing things that go on in our everyday lives, the things that God is doing. So I think for us to be able to fully embrace thankfulness 
We have to stop and make time for reflection. That's my second point. Yes, I have to stop and reflect. So I've, um, I've been practicing a new discipline this term. It's something called a prayer of examen. Um, and it's actually something that was developed by a Catholic monk called Ignatius of Loyola, who was a Spanish monk who went on to found a movement of monks known as the Jesuits. You don't need to remember any of that. I just, um, I just like saying the word Loyola. So I thought I'd give you a little mini history lesson in the middle of that. So anyway, he developed this thing called a prayer of examen, which essentially boils down to a series of questions, like four or five questions that you can ask yourselves two or sometimes three times a day. Um, and you pray into them and you, you ask God to speak. So practically what I've done is I've just got a little alarm in my phone that uh, goes off three times a day. And if I'm able to stop what I'm doing, I, I just go and spend five, ten minutes, ideally somewhere a bit peaceful and away from other people, um, and pray. Uh, and that alarm does ne- never fails to go off in the middle of a staff meeting. Um, it normally goes off in the middle of, of this service, actually. So I remember to turn it off, thankfully, tonight. I was quite pleased with myself that I actually managed managed to do so. Um, and I should be really clear at this point as well. If you look at me and being like, wow, you're, you're so holy. I mean, yeah, but... Um, <laughs> I think I should be really clear at this point that I've absolutely not done this three times a day. If you're looking at me and being like, wow, how could you? I haven't done it three times a day for this last term. I've probably done that maybe once or twice. The way I approach this is, uh, is basically if I manage to do it once, and that's a good day. And if I do it more, then, then that's great. Um, but the thing that I found about it, which um, has been really interesting actually, is basically what you, what you do is you start out by, uh, by saying to God, what am I thankful for? so far today. And doing that on a, on a semi-regular basis has been really fascinating. Because my guess is that if I was to ask you all, put you all on the spot and say, uh, can you think of one thing that you're thankful for from this last year? I'm not expecting answers. Think of it in your head. Um, I hope that that will be fairly easy for all of us to be able to think of at least one thing, even if it's a fairly small thing, something good that's happened to you or, or someone that you know, someone that you love. And again, my hope would be that if we did that over the last month or even the last week, again, my hope would be that most of us could think of something um, and hopefully find that relatively easy. But doing it at 10 o'clock in the morning, when you've done it the previous night, is a, is a whole different kettle of fish. You know, I, I might, if I'd asked you that, that question this morning at 10 o'clock, would you, what would you have said? Would you have been up if you're a student? Um, assumptions there, dangerous to make, but um, not, not a lot's happened at 10 o'clock in the, 10 o'clock in the morning in, in the sort of grand scheme of things. Um, but actually, there's an awful lot to be thankful for if we stop and, and think about it. A friend of mine told me a story a while ago about uh, a trip they'd been on to, um, I think it was Zambia, I can't remember, but they, they basically said the family that they'd stayed with had this wonderful discipline of praying every morning, and they prayed, God, thank you for my legs that I can walk. God, thank you for my eyes that I can see. God, thank you for my nose, and so on, and so on. I think that's a wonderful way to pray. It certainly challenged me when I heard it. I think, um, you know, God, thank you for my shoes. Thank you for my car. Thank you for my breakfast. There's, there's so much that if we don't stop, we can miss that we are, we are blessed with every day. So I'd, I'd really recommend that you try something like a prayer of examen. If you, if you want to find out more about it, you just Google it. It's, it's spelt E X 
A-M-E-N. So just remember it as X, Amen. You'll, you'll be able to find it. There's loads of information about it on the internet. There's different ways of doing it, but they all include the same basic elements, one of which is, uh, is giving thanks. There's other things too, but for the sake of tonight, I'm focusing on the, the giving thanks bit. Um, and if that's maybe, that maybe feels a bit out of reach for you, that's fine. There's, there's loads of ways that we can practice gratitude. One of our good friends has a, a jar in the kitchen, and every day they write something that they're thankful for from that day and, and put it in the jar, in the gratitude jar, as they call it. I know a, I know a family who do a, a similar thing on a weekly basis, and they've actually just spent some time together. Uh, they do it like over a year, and they've just spent some time looking back at all the things they've put in the jar over this last year. And they found it so encouraging, all this amazing stuff that's happened that they've kind of excuse me, forgotten about. And I think that's a really... Um, Wonderful tradition, actually. Because all of these are great ways of practicing this attitude of gratitude. You know, I described the prayer of examen, I used the word discipline when I described it, because I, I believe that we have to practice it. It's not something that will come naturally to us. And I think that's true of thankfulness. You know, it, it, it's a feeling that we experience, but actually, uh, if we just expect that to happen, I don't think it will. I think we have to choose it. We have to be intentional about it. And if you're anything like me, you, you need to practice this. Because I know what I'm like. I, I hear these things on a Sunday and I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. I'm definitely going to do that. I'm going to put that in, into place and it's going to revolutionize my life. I'm going to be a totally different person by next Sunday. And of course, I don't actually do anything with it. So in like two or three days, I've forgotten all about it. Um, and so if you're anything like me, you need to practice this, I would say. And that's actually why I chose that word attitude of gratitude. It's not just so that it makes a slightly cheesy rhyme, although that was a a nice little bonus. Um, It's because an attitude is something that we determine. It's something that we have to choose to embrace or not. So a question I'd love to ask us at this point would be, how how can we choose to embrace thankfulness uh, in this Christmas season? Is there one of those things that I've said there that you'd like to, you'd love to try? There's only like, what, like 14 days left of this year? Maybe you could try a thankfulness jar for 14 days and see, see the difference that that makes in your life. How can we choose to uh, embrace thankfulness this Christmas? Okay, so we're going to move into um, my final point, which is that we need to know that we are part of a bigger story. Going back to the, um, the text, I, I talked earlier about Elizabeth's reaction to the news of Mary's pregnancy and how part of her reaction is because she was able to look beyond herself. And I talked about that. That was my first point, if you can remember it. Um, but I think another part of it is because Elizabeth um, was, knew that she is part of a story that's bigger than just herself. Elizabeth said in, in verse 43, which I read out earlier, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth knew that the baby growing in Mary's womb represented more than just a new life, represented more than just hope for Mary. And Mary herself, one of the the things that I, I love about the attitude that she displays here is the way Mary celebrates and glorifies what God has done. Actually, despite her circumstances, 
Because again, I think we can miss some of, what, some of the cultural implications of what's going on here. At this point in the story, Mary is an unmarried, probably teenage woman who is pregnant. And that, doesn't, that wouldn't spell in that culture baby showers and celebration. In that culture, that would spell scandal. It might well have resulted in her being cut off from, from relationships, from friends and family. It put her engagement to Joseph in jeopardy. It, um, it could even have put her in, in physical uh, danger because the, the kind of punishments for adultery were very severe in that culture. You know, the, the, the basic immediate practical result of this blessing from God is that it completely messes her life up. But could you tell that from the Magnificat? Could you, could you hear a hint of, gosh, this is a bit inconvenient. There's, there's none of that in there. She's just celebrating the Lord. She sings of the wonders that God has done for her. And she also sings of the hope that it represents for her people. I didn't read the last uh, verse, verses of her song. I'm just going to read it now. So in, in verses 54 and 55, this is how she finishes her song by describing God in these terms. He has remembered his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised her ancestors. Mary is part of the people of Israel, the the Jewish people who God chose to be his special people and whose story we read about in the Old Testament, the kind of first half of the Bible, the, the story that precedes the Gospels, which I alluded to earlier. Um, and at the time, the Jewish people were struggling under the occupation of the Romans, and they were, they were waiting and yearning for a long-foretold saviour who would bring freedom to the people. And that, and that is what Mary sees Jesus as representing. In fact, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Mary and prophesied Jesus' birth earlier on in the story, he said this in, um, in verse 33, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And the, um, Jacob's descendants is a reference to the people of Israel, to, to the Jewish people. And that's an incredible promise for Mary and her people. That's a promise that's worth enduring any measure of present suffering to see realized. And I think knowing that they were part of this bigger story, God's big story enabled Mary to be grateful in very difficult circumstances, to to look past her present situation and to be grateful in the light of God's big story and the promises that he had made to her. And actually, we here are part of that story. You know, those of us who have have chosen to follow Jesus have entered into the reality of this great big story because the wonderful truth of the Christmas story, which begins with what I've talked about tonight, but culminates in the birth of Jesus, which we'll celebrate next week, is that that God himself came to earth in the form of a man. And his birth represents new hope for humanity because Jesus came not just to save the people of Israel, but for each and every member of humanity who accepts him, that we may have life and life to the full in the here and now and also eternal life to come. 
And that is a truly incredible promise, and the promise that lies at the heart of the Christmas story. And of course, for those of us who know this story, when we read this bit, we know how it ends. You know, we know that the Christmas story unfolds and it culminates in this miraculous birth of Jesus and all that he represents. But Mary didn't know that. Mary didn't know how it ends. You know, in, in Mary's circumstances, thankfulness makes no sense. And it may be that you here are in a situation where it, it makes no sense to be thankful. But I believe it's, it's, it's so helpful and so important for us to remember that we are part of a story that is bigger than ourselves. You know, I mentioned earlier when I was telling the story of the conversation that Ruth had with my colleague, that it served as a reminder of the fact that in the grand scheme of things, the challenges facing us aren't that big. And I, I use that phrase, grand scheme of things, a little bit flippantly, but when I was writing this, it occurred to me that actually that, that's a really helpful reminder that there is a grand scheme. God has a, a, a master plan. He has a big story that we get to be a part of. And in light of his big story and what he's realizing, the things that we struggle with can seem diminished. And in fact, it says that elsewhere in the Bible. It says in, uh, in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 18, I think this is going to come up. Oh, yes. Very hot on it, media team, well done. Um, they, uh, I should go back to this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I kind of ruined the seriousness of that, didn't I, by complimenting the media team. Let's read it again. I consider that the present, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Not even worth comparing. Now, of course, I don't know what challenges you are facing in your life. The example that I've used from my life is a fairly small challenge. I'm aware of that. And, and you might be facing things that feel overwhelming to you, and I'm, I'm really not trying to dismiss those or in any way diminish those. This attitude of gratitude that I'm talking about doesn't change our circumstances necessarily. You know, Mary's problems didn't go away because she was grateful. But Mary grasped the fundamental truth that in the light of stepping into the reality of the promises of God, God's big story, that gratitude is the natural response. And while it doesn't change our circumstances and the challenges that we face, it does change the way we approach them. So as I draw to a close this evening, I just want to remind you of my three points. Firstly, I believe we need to learn to look beyond ourselves, focusing not just on our circumstances, but looking to others around us. Secondly, I, I believe that we need to prioritize taking time to stop and reflecting on our lives. And I've offered, hopefully, some, some ways that we can start to practically engage with that if you're not doing that already. And I think this is really important, especially in all the Christmas busyness. Um, although all year round is, is really important to, to make time to stop and reflect. And then thirdly and finally, we need to learn to live in the reality of God's big story. We need to know that we are part of a bigger story. I believe that if we can do these three, these three things, then we are onto a good recipe for developing this attitude 
of gratitude that I asked us about at the beginning. An attitude of gratitude that will not only be pleasing to God, but will also be a blessing to those around us and indeed to ourselves.